Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What's going on, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of Field Nut Fridays powered by Yamaha. On today's episode, as well as the next few Fridays in November, we're going to be talking about nothing but whitetail deer and the rut. That's right. We're going to be bringing y'all a four, maybe five part rut series with a very well-known mastermind deer hunter, well-known in the outdoor industry, known to kill multiple 200-inch bucks year after year after year. He's killed lots of them. He's killed some massive big bucks, and y'all probably know who I'm talking about, and that's Mr. Lee Likoski, and he's known to kill giants. That's what he does, and his mind is the mastermind of deer hunting, and I can't wait to pick his mind on multiple things when it comes to the rut. We are going to be diving into how he hunts specific times of the rut from pre-rut, peak rut, waning rut, late rut, and everything in between. And we're going to go down some rabbit holes, but we're going to really just try to get those golden nuggets for y'all from Lee. So that way it'll help y'all strategize on how you want to go after your target buck, how you want to target different times of the year with the rut. You can listen in on what Lee's done, how he's doing things, how he approaches different different scenarios with different bucks and we're just going to talk everything whitetail and everything rut with lee and so y'all we just want to thank y'all for tuning into the hunt stand podcast we really appreciate the support if you get the chance make sure you download the hunt stand app we've got free version we got the pro version and new this year we've got our pro whitetail that has a rut map that gives you all these different date ranges for whatever county you're hunting in or if you're going to be going somewhere else that's outside of your normal home range you can look at trying to target the best time to go after the rut and then we've also got our whitetail activity forecast tool on there that gives you the best seven day forecast on when would be the best time to be out in the woods based on all these different conditions and so if you haven't yet make sure you go and download that and again y'all we just want to thank y'all for the support really appreciate it but we're going to dive into this rut series with mr lee lakoski and we hope you enjoy well, Lee, man, welcome back to the Hunt Stand Podcast and specifically for Field Note Fridays this week and this four to five part rut series that we're going to be doing with you. Oh, yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, man, I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. And, you know, don't don't think we need to do too much of an introduction again this time, but, uh, you know, tell us about the past two weeks. I've seen that you've drawn blood. <laughs> yeah, quite a quite a bit actually in, in two weeks, which is, which is crazy. You know, I mean, 
I have people text me now, oh, I'm not going out, it's too hot and stuff like that. It's like, it doesn't matter what the weather is. It's, you know, it's Halloween. It's November 1st. It's November 2nd. It's like, you know, you really need to be out there no matter what the weather. I mean, if you can, obviously, if you're choosing vacation time or something, you might wait. But, you know, we have strategies for for everything. If it's hot, windy, cold, whatever. And we're still seeing them and shooting them no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You just you got to get out there and you got to put time in the stand right now. I know it's it seems like kind of the consensus consensus across the nation right now is that it's been really warm. It's been hot. Uh, and the funny thing is, I've been hearing that from people up north in the Midwest. And yesterday, I was wearing a hoodie down here in Texas. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it has been you know especially here, but it's been super windy too. So there's always these strategies and places that we have for for the high winds and high heat and you know all that all that stuff but like i said if it's when it gets around halloween time you better you better be out there if you can be because you know i mean i'm tagged out already plus i went to alberta and shot a giant mule deer all within the last two weeks so you know i'm gonna be heading to illinois either tonight or tomorrow it's gonna be the same thing there hot temperatures i know exactly Mm -hmm. what i'm gonna be looking for i know exactly what stands i'm gonna look for and get where i'm gonna get cameras out and all that kind of stuff so just change your strategies a little bit. So that's what that's what I want to talk about. You know, I, I think right now most of the nation is still kind of in that pre-rut phase. You know, we've got some parts of the nation where things have started to get in the peak rut. We still have other people that they may not even be seeing any kind of rut sign. And so you've put two deer down the past two weeks. You just put one down, I think, what was it, yesterday or the day before? Yeah, and yesterday. Let's talk about the strategy that you're going to be going into this stand you know or in these stands for the next couple of days in illinois let's talk about you know your strategy and how you're utilizing pro whitetail from hunt stand okay yeah i mean um my strategy there it's going to be warm again and it was forecast to be cooler next week but that kind of changed it looks like not till the week after but you know i don't know how accurate they are when you're getting that far out but so i'm just going to assume it's going to be like here warmer temperatures yeah and so we, we've done that, you know, with a lot of our food plots, almost like all my green food plots, we've been building ponds in them. And, you know, you hear about ponds forever, but, you know, it hasn't been more to the recent years that we started making sure we're putting them right in our green fields because, um, you know, that is what we use for, you know, rut or at least any time when it gets hot out. They're always going to need water. And, of course, mm-hmm. there's creeks. There's all kinds of things like that. I mean, that's what I used to think. You know, years ago, well, there's creeks, there's all kinds of places to drink. I don't need to put ponds in there, but you really, until more recent years, I really started seeing the value of it. Of course, back in, you know, Buffalo County in the years, you know, 20 years ago, everybody was doing that. We And I shot some good ones over that, you know, ones in the timber yeah. and stuff like that. But for me, mostly it was food pots I was concentrated on. But now that, you know, we've got all of our farms basically, you know, done the way I want them with food and with you know, hinge cutting and timber improvements and all that kind of stuff. So then we start thinking about, okay, what are the little things? And it's like, well, yeah, you can have water, but you're not going to necessarily hunt a creek bottom that's eight miles long, yeah. you know, where are you going to go? You know, so we started, you know, several years ago and like all of our clover and our turnip fields and things like that, our small ones in the timber and especially the ones that, you know, so I started pushing a lot of uh, food pots in like right in like the cedars or along the cedars. You know, over the years you learn where they like to bed 
you know, most of the time, I mean, those cedars are just a magnet for bedding for them, both winter and summer. In summer, it's shaded out. It's cool in there. In the wintertime, there's no snow. It's some, some thermal cover in there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so along those, that's where I've been pushing in, you know, small food plots. You don't want to say small, like an acre to three acres. You don't want them too small or it gets too shaded and you don't get anything to grow in them. But they're like three acres or, you know, something like that. And I put a pond right in them on one edge of them and that seems to be the ticket right now um and we're just strategizing for tiffany tonight okay it's really windy okay we got three different bucks she's looking for um you know all of them have been visible but some way more than others yeah uh, one of them's very visible but he's a, more of a management deer and the other two are big and they're both very similar and and one of them is very regular and one of them is not so regular but you know so you're just looking at three different strategies and say like, okay well this one is here and this one's here and this one's here like say even though it's more of the management buck this is a low field that's in a bottom and it's green it's beautiful because we've been dry and that's like those low ones collect all the water more shady we did it in our crushed clover in there first and then put a uh, amazing grains which just like peas and wheat and stuff over the top of it and it mm-hmm. is lush as can be and I just last year, they had excavated and put a big pond in there because that field was so low, it was flooding out all the time. Like off of one of the hills, it cut a big ditch in it. It was washing out the creek. So we made a big pond to hold that water in there. Um, and so it's it's unreal. And so a, a buck that we call Big Bacon, her kids named him, <laughs> is in there all the time. And so well, along with a lot of other bucks, that's when she's targeting. And of course, with lower fields, sometimes you get some swirly winds. But if it gets high like this, or, or windy, high winds like this, so we put a redneck in there. And just so when you get any south wind, is normally you know when it's warm like this, we set up just for south winds. And even if it gets a little bit squirrely in there, in a redneck, you can close it up. You know, you can spray. You know, in all the the vent holes and stuff like that, you can spray. Right. Like we use uh, the wildlife research that the aerosol cans. It works. Been working great for us. And you can put an ozonics in there. And there's a lot of ways that for just that little bit of wind. If you get a little swirl here and there, you can you can hold it in in a redneck more than than a stand. So there are stands in there right on the pond that you know we use normally for south winds. If it was light, but when you get strong winds like today, 18 to 20, it can start swirling around on you. So say okay, that's our strategy. We're gonna go down low because down for them on the field level you're basically out of the wind it's down in a valley yeah and it's green it's going to be cool on hot days like this you got the big pond there they're going to need water we got a redneck in there to hold the wind in so it's like it may not be her number one choice on bucks on her hit list but it's one of them so that's the one that we're just going to and so that's that's going to be our strategy in illinois same thing we put a lot of ponds on right on fields on those green fields. So mm-hmm. and we focusing on those and bringing down, you know, 20 cell cameras and start. So that's where we'll start on green fields, number one and ponds and then work from there. Okay. So have you seen that, especially like the buck that you just killed or are your deer still kind of in that pre rut phase or have they really started getting into the peak rut? Like how have they been in your area? Um, just kind of like what you would expect. Little ones are, chasing and grunting big ones are just hanging around the edges and mm-hmm. that's where like the cameras really come in handy because you can just see them I and they're working the scrapes and un- unusual this year they're not hitting scrapes like as fiercely as they have in the past but they're still hitting them i'm getting like less pictures of most of our bucks than normal and i don't know if it's just 
weather or moon phase at this times and different or whatever. But um, you know, we're still getting them. And like this last buck that I just shot, um, he's not one that lives on us. I mean, you could go see him on our neighbors to the north. Really? I'm sure a hundred people put that out there and videoed him and stuff. But I only had like two pictures of him on our place all year. But once the crops come down up there, yeah. and everything piles back into ours. So I'd been gone, you know, all of September and part of October, mm-hmm. you know, out west and up to Alberta and stuff. So I hadn't had a picture of him since July. And just bang, I got a picture on the north end of our farm and he's kind of heading towards the field that I'm, one of the fields I'm talking about for Tiffany that has a pond in it and green. Okay. And I was going to go there that evening. And, but then Tiffany wanted me to hunt with her on for another buck. Cause he keeps in, he's in there. This is one of, one of the bucks. Like I said, they just all have different attitudes. Um, she got one of her big ones is just chasing does all the time. He's even though he's six years old, he acts like a three-year-old out there. You know, and, and he's, she's had him at like 40 and 50 a number of times, but only for seconds. And then he turns and chases doe. Every time she just ranges them, sets her pin, gets up to draw, boom, he's off chasing. So she's like, if you could come with me and just range it for me and tell me. So I have a little more time because he's always moving. And so I went with her and he did the same dang thing. Um, but only came like 50 facing us and turned and ran, but it never came any closer. Never gave us another one. Mm-hmm. Of course, that night that buck and one of the other big ones, the buck that shot, we're in there like at four o'clock. I mean, early, like three, three forty something. Dang. And at four o'clock, then he was back out at five o'clock. This is the buck we call paddles. It was PJ and J, but he's got these big paddle drop tines. Okay. This year, which is crazy because he, you know, he's eight years old and he was always kind of a management buck for us. Um, but it just kind of slipped through the cracks over the years because, you know, he tagged out on something else or whatever. And I'm glad we did leave him because he's super cool now. I think the biggest he ever probably was, was maybe 155. You know, he just had really short beams. He was kind of heavy and stuff. And he always put like a sticker or two off his twos. But like this year, he was a big paddle drop times. I mean, I, I didn't even score him yet, but he's probably in the 180s, I guess. Mm-hmm. So for a management buck, that was a, a total bonus. You know, one that, you know, would shot or let somebody shoot for a management buck turned into a 180 inch deer. But, you know, that was like the, that night I was like, oh my gosh, they're right in there. But it was warm again. And I know those bucks were going right to the pond, even though the camera's on the scrape. They're hitting that scrape. You know, they were in there for the pond. So I just went out that next morning at 9.30. We had little bucks in there chasing does and a bunch of does in there. And everything went to that pond and drained. And about 9.30, I said, I'm going to hit the rattling antlers once. So I grunted, hit the rattling antlers, and did kind of a long sequence. But I don't rattle continually. If you watch a real buck fight, they're mostly pushing. Yeah. You know, click, 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 and then just push in, grind a little bit, and wait a little bit, and then click them again. And I was really expecting something to come out, even if it was little bucks, and nothing was coming. So I just, I did it maybe a little bit longer than I normally would. And I just hung them up and said, huh. And I grabbed the grunt tube again and bah, gave it a, like a ball, and boom, out comes the buck shooting out. Boom, there comes another one. Boom, there comes another one. And then I could hear, like, I don't know if he was rubbing or just trying to get those paddles through. And boom, out he came, you know, right right next right from underneath us they were all they were all on the east side of us and you know there's a road down there and a house and stuff i was i was expecting them to be on the west side of the field but they all came from the east side right under our feet and i you know shot them at 30 yards but it was that was the same strategy there because it was it's been warm this mm-hmm. whole week so you know we're just we're just looking on green fields with water and, and i think that people uh 
underestimate the water and it doesn't have to be like, these are pretty big ponds that I put in with, with a dozer and stuff. But mm-hmm. my buddy, Brad true from Matthews was, was just here hunting and coming back. But he just, you know, you look at pictures of his, from his cameras I mean, he'll have like a, the top of a field. Like we've got a big food plot at the, at the crown of the hill, even just dig a little hole and put, you know, a little, um, like rubber roofing or something in it to hold it so it doesn't drain out. And it's, they're small. I mean, they're, you know, six foot around and he just goes and fills them with water when they dry out. And you wouldn't believe the bucks. I mean, all his target bucks, they all are going to that little tiny water hole. And it was really a little bit of eye opening for me too. Cause I always think of these bigger ponds, like, boy, you don't have to, I mean, cause you know, I'm always thinking of something that's ditchy or hilly that you can trap water in. Yeah, He's just filling them. And so, and when this was, you know, when he came the first time, I started seeing that. And then on one of our food plots, I had one of the bank's water tanks with the trough on it. So I put that out. This was going back away. This is early when it was hotter, at, you know, in that second week of October. And I put that out in one of our food plots and deer started hitting that like crazy. And I have my stand right over the top of it. And even though that 204, I shot a big one early, what didn't go to that to drink that time that's where I shot him out of was right there. He was coming in what there were some other bucks underneath me that had been drinking in there. And, uh, and I shot him before he ever went to the, that little, that water tank. But it's amazing how little tiny things of water like that can, uh, can make a big difference. And especially like, you know, when, when you have like a big bean field or an eight acre field or something like that, mm-hmm. normally we'd always put like a, a rubbing post out there or something to, you know, something to direct them in front of your stand it's a whole nother strategy just digging that little a little impression out there and putting a small water hole and they wouldn't believe how many of them come to it so that's kind of something new that i just you know just kind of eye-opening this year um and talking with brad and and stuff and you know ourselves we've always done stuff with bigger ponds but just little things like that that you can just pop in there um you know, maybe you only do it for that one year and you shoot your buck and then you don't worry about putting that water all out there again. Maybe you have a different food source or something that they come in closer to you. But um, it's really been a, a game changer when you got heat like this. That You know, that's that's a good thing to think about too, especially, you know, when you've got these these water sources in the middle of these fields or at the edges of these some of these fields like you're talking about in food sources, you know, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh how does your strategy change when those bucks begin to leave food sources and they're seeking and they're looking and they're starting to just, they're really starting to roam. And I feel like when you have water like this, it almost kind of, like you're saying, it's kind of like that little golden nugget or hidden gem is it almost helps them. Or do you see it keeping those deer more concentrated in those areas instead of being more apt to leave? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, right now with the heat, and that's always a problem. I mean, you know, when it's those cold days and stuff, you know, that's what you kind of dream of those frosty mornings, but you yeah. don't always get that, but it can be a blessing in disguise when you, if you take those strategies up like this, because even though it's like, it's going to be like almost 80 here today Gah. and I'm excited for Tiffany because I guarantee she's probably going to see that deer. She's going to see a bunch of them. And, I, and it wouldn't surprise me one bit. If you look at our Instagram tomorrow and big bacon that she's shot him, I mean, it's a pretty big food pot too. It's like a four acre field. So, I mean, he'll likely be in there and at the pond and running around with those and stuff like that, but you know, mm-hmm. it's big enough that it's 200 yards, of, you know, all the way from one end to the other. And 
60 yards across. So he could be in there without her getting a shot, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, when most people are like, oh, it's too hot, I'm not even going out. Yeah. When you have the right setup, that's where most of the deer are going to concentrate on. And like even Brad was saying, we, we were hunting a bean field um, on a place that it was, it's a big food plot. So it's like eight acres. And his son was hunting too. And we had this buck with split threes and he was looking for him. He would see him every day on those beans, but he was just like, man, it's a big field. And he just never came close. And it became like the, you know, 70. And Brad was like, man, I wish we could just put a little pond right here. Cause I guarantee it. These dude would walk right over. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we easily could. So now that I'm tagged out, I might just take, and all they have to do is take my skid steer with the bucket, yeah. just go dig a little impression. He puts a tarp down in there. He said, you know, they'll start stepping in and poke holes in it. And it'll drain mm-hmm. faster, but like like if you have clay, you don't really have to worry about. It, but I'm still going to put the put the tarp in there. And then he said, just put dirt over the edge of the tarp and stuff, and it just comes out with like a 500 gallon tank and just fills it up. So you might have to do it every two weeks or something like that, because I guarantee you have a little piece of water out there, a little indent like that at you know 20, 30, 25 yards from your from that blind. Even if they have an eight acre field, I guarantee you that every deer will come over and take a drink out of that thing. Give it two days there and they figure out that water there. They'll be, you can bring them right to your, right to your stand. So oh, heck yeah. and I was like, boy, I'd never really thought about that. I go put my ponds in something that's, you know, where we got some roll to the hill and you got a little bit of a ditch draining and, uh, you know, you can, you know, you know, dam it up and have a, you know, make a permanent pond, but I never really thought about these little, little ones like that really the next year when you go to plant it in corn next year you just disc over it and because you, mm-hmm. you only know, have to put them like a foot deep you know where they enough to stand in it and you know you just fill it right back up again i like that i like that i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna have to think about that moving forward at, at our place here in texas and so what i want to ask you next you know this, this is more or less kind of for the listener that you know they may or may not have food plot on their place or they might even be on public land but you know looking at your resume and everything you've done, what do you do this time of year when bucks begin to leave those food sources and they become less visible overall? Like how do you approach a hunt like that when you're running into something like that? Well, you know, the thing is it's a lot of times, like I said, the bucks will leave the food sources, but the does normally don't. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times, it is a good example from a buck I shot last year. Now I tried him early and he was like in the food a lot. And then he just kind of disappeared. And you know, he's when they get, it's basically they get locked down. You just don't see him. And, you know, they're still, they're still right there close by, but you just don't see it. And it was a good example of yesterday or two days ago, my buddy, John Hoyer's down hunting to our Missouri side. Mm-hmm. He's a pro fisherman. And, you know, we went by this bug and like, this was like on Halloween. And so like the first rut activity I'd seen, like you could tell it was a hot dope. And there was this eight point standing, just, I mean, he wouldn't leave. He would, they were right next to the road. So you could stand there and take pictures of them. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, that dough is hot. You know, for this early, you know, normally it's not till around the seventh or eighth you start seeing stuff like that. But it was a big, it was an old buck, but it was an eight, eight point, not, not, not a super high score, but an old buck. Yeah. Just standing there and he wouldn't leave. We could take all the photos and anything we want because that doe was just laying bedded by the fence next to the road. And he was just standing over, just staring at it. He wouldn't even look at us. Man. So it's like, okay, see, that's what kind of like lockdown is. So we went and because we were, t- we were putting a, a rubbing post in, in, in the tree because he was hunting a bean field. Like last time we had a corn, you could cut some corn and you can direct deer to where you want them. But now when it's a big eight acre bean field on, on the Missouri side too, we, you know, because a lot of our food plots are that big. 
he's like, well, the deer come up, but you can't, they have no way to direct them to you. So, you know, we, we put a rubbing post out there, a tree, we just cut an oak tree down and had a stand that you put it in. We made scrapes underneath it. So those deer that come out and they'll see that and they'll hit those scrapes and bring them to a stand. But anyway, it took us a couple hours to do that. And we came back by and sure enough, he's sitting right there again, still with her. And so when he went out to hunt that night, he said, yep, they were still there. He said, I can't believe it. They're still just standing right there. You know, the doe was up feeding around because there's an oak tree there and they were eating acorns. Or something, mm-hmm. but they said they didn't move it anywhere. And when he came back out, he said it was crazy. I well, he couldn't see it was dark and see in there, but on the shoulder, he said there was a big buck laying in bedded in the road. And this is our just little dirt roads, obviously, around here. So they, you know, probably didn't even get two cars to go past them in any week's time, you know, or you know, so it's not like they're like a highway well traveled. Yeah. But he said it was an old buck too. He said it was kind of a crappy buck too, but he said it was bedded right there on the shoulder, like right in the, right in the road. God. I said, yeah, she's still right there. That's why those bucks are there. But see, that's really what, you know, he just like, that's crazy. I can't believe they're there that long. I said, that's why I call it lockdown. I mean, lockdown, those bucks are still right there. They just don't move, mm-hmm. but they will just go wherever the dough goes. So when you have those cameras and you keep those cameras in your food plots and stuff, and still we'll see when the dough comes out and you'll just see a buck standing there staring at her. So you know that, okay, that doe isn't necessarily going to leave. Mm-hmm. So she's right there. So that's from like last year, as like when I lost that 10, I couldn't find him anymore. But I knew like where the doe's all bad. So we just went in and we put a stand in the timber and just looking at, you know, the hunt stand app and looking at it. Okay, this is all, these are all cedars. And then there's like two big patches of cedars, but on in a drainage ditch that goes in between those patches, it was hardwoods. And it's only like, 75 yards across maybe from from cedar thicket to cedar thicket i was like you know going walking through those cedars it they're probably walking the the hardwood stuff because it's more yeah. open those cedars are you know those all the branches go right to the ground and it's you know they love to bed and stuff in there but it's not the easiest to walk in. So they're taking this ditch down so we wouldn't put it in the in the timber there um where I thought we weren't getting any pictures of him anymore. I said, he's got to be right here. This is like over the three weeks that I've been hunting him. This is where we're getting the pictures between this field and this field. And so it just makes sense that they're betting in right in here in between them. And that's where like the mapping and all that stuff from hunt stand comes in handy, looking at all that stuff, looking at the aerials on that. I mean, just one of the things. And then, you know, we put it in there the next morning, bang, he was right there with the doe and he, he came to maybe 40 yards at once, but it was, you know, in the timber, it's like there was branches in the way. I never had a clear shot. We just, yeah. he would not come to our side of the ditch. We're like, gosh, you know, we contemplated that side of the ditch. And then for wind, we thought we should go to this side of the ditch. He's like, gosh, I wish we would have been on that side of the ditch. They were there all day long. And how many different bucks came in there? You know, and he'd walk them off. I mean, so many times we thought, okay, this buck coming, okay, he's going to run him right here. And she'd run right to her stand and boom, the, the, he'd be chasing a buck one way and that buck would do a 90 and turn and go right up into the cedars and he'd chase him up in there. It was like, yeah, it was so frustrating. We stayed there all day, never got a shot. So the next morning we go out and it was supposed to be super windy, like 20 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And so it was like early, like at seven, I was like, you know, normally I wouldn't rattle or anything that early, you know, kind of wait to see what happens first. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I don't rattle unless I see one that's not coming, but I was like, you know what, it's going to get super windy. And here's his rattle right now. Well, some, well, everything around here can hear it in case he's right in here someplace because later on it might be too windy for him to hear it. And I hit him and boom, I see a deer coming and it's him coming right, comes right up the ditch. And that's the one I shot right underneath me at like six yards. Dang. So sometimes, you know, like when you're not getting pictures of them and like they're locked down, it doesn't mean that they are gone two miles away. I mean, that's, 
in some places that's like sometimes like in, when, in our Kansas farm that we had and that stuff, they would travel a lot farther because the deer numbers weren't that high. Yeah. So they, they would travel a long ways, you know, to, to find does. But like around here and in a lot of places where you have a lot of does, those bucks, as they got older, they just, their, their core area gets smaller and smaller. I mean, most people know that if you have like a five-year-old deer, I mean, a lot of times here, they hardly leave a 40 or an 80. Um, you get almost 99% of the pictures that you'll get are within a 40-acre piece. Okay. And so when you have a lot of does, they're likely still right there because there's does. And when they're done with one, they'll just find another one right there. Mm-hmm. So they're likely not going. I mean, they'll take, not that they won't go and wander to look for does, maybe right at the very beginning or maybe right on the Thanksgiving right at the end. But in the main, like in the bell curve at the top of it, when lots of does are coming in, they likely don't spend 10 minutes to find another one. Okay. I mean, right there. Because we have, there we have you know, plenty of does. So they're likely not far. So a lot of times I just get into the timber in you know, some place where I think the does are bedding. And you learn all that stuff from shed hunting and stuff. You got snow, you see where all the beds are. And these are those cedars that I was talking about on that one. I knew that they bedded in there, but they probably walked the hardwoods there because it might be easier walking. They maybe go up into those cedars and, and bed. And they were usually bed, you know, from shed hunting too. You find a lot of those sheds right on that transition from the cedars to the oaks or the hardwoods. They like to bed right on those edges. And you, where you find a lot of the sheds. So that's where we just kind of put the stands in places where does are bedding. And that's where, you know, bucks are going to be cruising through there. And they're not really interested in food, but they are interested in those does. And, if, mm-hmm. you know, the does, they don't change their patterns like bucks do. I mean, they kind of still go about their normal business until they're being bred. You know, and then a lot of times they don't go into the food either. They just stay in one little spot and they'll eat acorns or browse. They don't really go as much but you still will catch them in fields you know the does will walk out there and feed for a while and the buck will just stand there and stare at them right stomp at them you know do the high step at them every once in a while and move little bucks off and stuff like that and sometimes that's a lot of times that's at night but at least you know they're still right here and so you get in the timber and some then then if you see them you can try a snort wheeze at them that's worked for me i mean usually grunting doesn't they're already with a doe but Mm -hmm. the one thing that i have pulled them off of hot does is with a snort wheeze and of course, that the one last year rattled, but he was probably in between does when, when that doe that he was with that whole day, the day before, likely, you know, he's done with her. She was, you know, whatever happened, but he wasn't with her that then the very next morning. He just came in by himself. So, okay. So um, you would say then right now, this time of year, the best strategy when you run into that time where they just become less visible, like you said, it's. You, you may not necessarily hunt the food source per se, but you've got to get in and you've got to e-scout and you've got to try and find, you know, where you think they're bedding and pretty much hunt kind of that, that in-between area, if you will. Is hunt that- the does or where does are bedding. If you know the area very well, I mean, if you're going to a public place, you don't know, you can still kind of see, you know, even like, like here, like we have some bucks that I just, I never get in a picture of them, mm-hmm. but I know they're there. Cause there's so many, we had a lot of acorns this year and we have a lot of big oak ridges. And so he's just sitting on an oak ridge someplace. You just wait. So we, we hunted one early and I hunted him and he was in the field and I never got a shot at him. And then I put Tiffany over there after I shot the big one, you know, I said, you go hunt that one. Okay. And she saw him. And then we like, that was like on October 10th or 11th. And we haven't had a single picture of him. And then I had one last night in that same field. But everyone said, oh, he must have got killed. I said, no, he's not. I guarantee you, he's there. He's a six years old. He's a deer that, you know, I guarantee you, he's just sitting on one of those ridges eating acorns. 
He's still doing the same thing. Yeah. He just moved to acorns. And I just got a picture of him last night in that same food pot. But then I guarantee it, I can probably tell you what ridge he's on. Cause I mean, he's six now as I've been watching him since he was three. Cause he was pretty big since then. I just yeah. kind of know his routine. And that was kind of his MO over the years. You know, you maybe when, when he was three, you don't really pay that much attention to him. And, and he goes picture and I'll see you get another picture of him like, you know, a week or two later. You go, oh, yeah, he's back again. But he was kind of out of mind, you know, but now when they're big enough, you kind of keep them in your mind. You know, it's not like one that you easy would forget about. Right. But I always knew it's like that's kind of his M.O. But I guaranteed I could go where I shot my second buck last year. And that thing is full of white and red oaks. And that's where all those does were focusing on that last year when I shot the the other one there, Night Stalker. On that is on that same farm. Like I said, I guarantee it, that buck is on. Like you, I could go into that ridge in the morning and mm-hmm. find them in there. But okay. that's just kind of getting to know your farms and stuff. Like, okay, where are your oaks? Where are your acorns falling? You know, and walking some of that and seeing, man, this whole ridge, it's like walking on marbles out here. Yeah. So you know they could be right there, and you know, just knowing where most of your does are bedding. And where the bedding areas are, they're going to be right there. They're going to be close to it. They might not be coming out to the fields. They might not be hitting the scrapes anymore once they get on a doe, but they're still going to be right there. I mean, especially the peak of the rut, they don't want to leave their core areas. That 40 acres that you find them in all summer and all early season, all late season, that's where they want to be. Not that they won't wander out of there, but likely if you have high deer numbers like us, there's going to be enough does that are right there too that that's where they're going to, they're going to get those does first. And once, once they run out of does and no hot does mm-hmm. in their area, then they'll obviously wander, but still nine times out of 10, they're still going to be right in that same area. Just locked down with a doe. Just like I was talking about with John on that road. See that doe. I mean, we were talking almost 20 hours worth. That buck was just standing there yeah. with that doe. They didn't leave a 10 yard area. I can't believe that's that what they're doing. Yeah. It's crazy. And then that's... one bedded right on the road, a buck bedded on the road, <laughs> right in the gravel. These deer are insane sometimes, but well, that's why we love it. And so uh-huh. find, find the does when they start going off camera and they, they becoming less and less visible. So find those does and find that area, that sweet spot after you've done your research, your e-scouting and done your time with boots on the ground. So where yes. you are up there in the Midwest, you know, how, how much longer do you think it's going to be till the rut is just wide open, just insane peak rut? When, when do you see that happening? I, I think it's basically the same every year, but between like the seventh and the tenth, like I, I say, like the seventh is probably like my favorite time. That's when you normally see it. Yeah. And there'll be so many times that people are like, "Oh, the rut's late this year. It's early this year," and that's normally not the case. It's not. It's always the same. I mean, you don't see a bunch of fawns all of a sudden. Oh, they're all born in January, you know, or in July. I mean, right. it's, it's all in May that they're born, basically. So it's ninety percent of them are all at that same time. You just may not be seeing it because it could be hot like you're saying you don't have you know if you're just hunting timber you don't have the ponds you don't have cameras everywhere you don't know you do, you just think oh man it's slowed down to a crawl but all those bucks are just doing what that one was on the road for john they're all just standing there wherever a doe is mm-hmm. is that you know so it always happens at the same time but just when it's colder you may get more of that daytime movement but i would say like here in iowa normally it's around the seventh that you really, that you really see it going. And you can tell just by like scrapes, you like, and all of a sudden they disappear off the scrapes. Like right now you get, you know, you put a camera on a prime scrape on one of our food pots and you get 20 different bucks a, a day, you know, mostly little ones, but you'll get your big ones in there too. 
you know, hitting those scrapes. But when those kind of those cameras go dead, you know, it's on because then they could care less about scrapes and they got an actual thing right there. Yeah. They had does there. They'd care less about it. Okay. So, but it, for us, it's like the seventh. Well, that's any day now, man. And so, you know, dang right. <laughs> next week, hopefully we're going to be talking more about the peak rut and, you know, we're, we're finally kind of getting out of that pre-rut for a lot of people. But before we go, I know we're running out of time here. Give the listeners any kind of little special golden nugget that you might have that they can take and put in their pocket before they head out in the woods this weekend, just in regard to the peak or the, in regard to the pre-rut. Well, one little thing that you can really look at that really makes a difference that, you know, I mean, the moon phase stuff, everybody's heard about it and everything else. But if you go like to, um, you know, if you look at like Adam Hayes, you know, how the big deer that he's shot and he, he has the, his, uh, moon guide. Mm-hmm. I go off that a lot. And a lot of times you'll see like the best days. I mean, when you look at it on, on something like that, you can see, okay, these, if you, if you just had to take, uh, time, like a week off of vacation, I would look at that. But a lot of times you look at like when the moon is directly overhead or, underfoot and we do it like for musky fishing all the time i yeah. mean you can just see it all you know all of a sudden when you start getting to that peak bang you start getting follows and then you get right like an hour before during that bang that's your third reel and bang the muskies hit mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing you know on on deer is just it's not always prime you know moon stuff during prime hours but you can still see it's like when you have just a couple cameras out, it's hard to see. But like right now, I'm like, look at my cell camera thing. Is a, I got 156 out right now. I have another 30 to put out. Wow. You can see it a lot of times when that moon is directly overhead or underfoot. And it might even be 12 o'clock noon. So you think, eh, nothing. It might be 70 degrees. Over those 150 cameras at noon or sometimes close by, you'll see some activity by so many bucks. It might, it's not near what it is if it was at like, you know, 6 p.m. or 6 30 p.m. right now on a cool day yeah but you can see it when you have a big sample source so just take a look at you know the the moon phase not necessarily the phase but what time a day it's overhead or underfoot okay and you know there's a lot of the moon stuff too but that's a little thing that just lots of little things that i look at every day see when you should be out there and when it's going to work and that's why you know it just you know basically and two and a half weeks now i shot two 200 inch deer in a 180 in the in a, in a terrible i mean terrible times and terrible weather mm-hmm. but it still doesn't matter it's not like they dig tunnels and are hiding from you they're still out there someplace and they move every day yeah. lots of they move a lot every day whether you see them on your cameras or not trust me they're on their feet a lot they every are. day they are well, Lee, man, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk deer hunting, talk the rut with us. I love doing that. I'd always pick something up for you whenever I get to podcast with you. So I'm definitely looking forward to next week when we get to talk about the peak rut and hopefully seeing you down or Tiffany down with another big giant on Instagram. So <laughs> I think you will. And we let's hope let's hope we do. But you know, Tiffany's awful close and we'll be heading to Illinois. So like I said, that we'll be getting peak rut and we're looking forward to hunting in that too and looking forward to talking to you next week about it. Sweet. Well, good luck to you, Lee, and appreciate your time as always, man. You too, Will. Thanks. All right, y'all. There you go. Pre-rut. Talking it with Mr. Lee Lukowski. He's got some strategies and stuff that he shared with y'all on how he targets bucks and what they're doing this time of year. We're about to be in the peak rut or your area. You might be here pretty soon. And so we're going to be talking peak rut 
with Lee next week. He's going to be heading to Illinois. We're going to see what kind of action he has while he's in Illinois this next week, and he's going to report back to us. And We're just going to talk deer hunting with him, so we're going to find out how this next week goes for him. But again, y'all, thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast. Field Note Fridays powered by Yamaha, and we'll see y'all next week. to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western a mule there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv